celebrate Bless Stories together. For the last three years, we've been sharing them in what God is doing. And we celebrate that because God says very clearly in his word, he blesses us to be a blessing. And that starts in the book of Genesis, and that's every day. It's the mind of Christ. When you wake up in the morning and say, God, who do you want me to bless today? And how can I bless them? That's an acronym. Begin with prayer. Start praying for some different people. God's brought into your life. And then L is listen. The Bible says be quick to listen, slow to speak. E is eat together, coffee, go a little deeper, buy someone a lunch. S is serve, meet the needs that they have. And S is share, share your story, share about Jesus, share about church and invite them. When you're faithful in those things and blessing other people, trust God with the results and God transforms lives. We're all on mission together and every day is an adventure. Like we're entering in, we don't know what God's gonna do right now, today, in this moment, we're, we're glad to be here. And also, you might have noticed this, but if you turn around and look at the main entrance right there, there's no sound uh, anymore. There's no sound booth. And we want to thank our tech teams, our facilities teams, but that is all shifted. They built this unit over here that's portable, that improves the sound. It kind of opens it up when you come in and come out, open the the gates and let the King of Glory come in. Uh, And we're grateful for our tech teams. Also, the subs are going to go up next. So there's different things happening in process, and we want to thank God for that. This is a place where we experience Jesus, and that's our focus. And whatever we can do um, to you know, bring us together, unite us, grow in our faith, draw close to Jesus, get rid of distractions, that's what we're all about. We're in a series right now, Empowered. It fits with bless. God empowers you to bless other people. This is the book of 2 Timothy, and we're in chapter 2. If you brought a Bible, uh, then open it up to 2 Timothy chapter 2 or on your phone. If you need a Bible, let us know. I gave Bibles away after the first service to different people coming in, hungry for God's words. I've just never understood the Bible, never had my own Bible. It's like, wow, we're honored. So you can connect with God and his word. That's the food we need for our souls. And today, we're going to look at doers and developers. Let's say that together. Doers and developers. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence here with us as we worship and praise you, as we confess our sins. God, so often we're stubborn. We try to shut you out and our vision is too small. And God, we pray that you would bring a fresh wind today. And Lord, we also uh, seek you together. We pray for each other. We pray for the people sitting next to us. God, that you would encourage them, strengthen them, build them up today. God, we're joined together. And Jesus, we'll give you all the glory for what you're gonna do now as we grow in our faith. We pray in trusting you, Lord. Amen. God empowers you in two ways. He brings new sources and also choices. Sources and choices are empowering. Paul's mentoring Timothy and he's highlighting sources that God brings and also choices you can make as you follow God. Sources and choices, two verses today. 2 Timothy chapter two. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. It starts out in verse one as Paul writes to Timothy and it's an endearing term, my son, the one who I love and I care about. There's a close relationship here. And he says, be strong. That word literally means empowered. Be empowered, Timothy. He wants to see Timothy be all God's designed him to be. God's going to work in you, and then he's going to work through you, Timothy. Be empowered. What are the specific ways that God empowers us? 
This same word is used in other places by Paul, talking about his own experience, building other people up. Here's four. In Acts 9.22, we read, God empowers Paul more and more so that he can share, talk about, prove that Jesus is the Messiah. One way God empowers you is so that you can speak. You can speak of God's goodness. In a second example with this same word, 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank Jesus who empowered me and appoints me for his service. God empowers you to serve other people. You have many gifts and talents. A second way, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who empowers me. This is a favorite verse for athletes who want to get their PR, their best bench, you know, uh, and, and you know, whatever it is they're going to do. Well, it's a little different context in the Bible. I can do all things through Christ who empowers me, meaning that God brings contentment and has taught me how to be content in every situation because he's greater than the situation I'm in and he'll help me to overcome whatever I'm walking through and facing right now. God empowers you in those ways. It's, and that's a good truth. You take hold of that. In Ephesians 6.10, be empowered in the Lord and in his mighty strength. This is a spiritual battle in Ephesians 6. You put on the armor of God. How does God empower you specifically? Well, he empowers you to speak in your words about his goodness. He empowers you to serve and use your gifts. He empowers you to find contentment and overcome the challenges that he's greater than. We have a hope greater than our challenges. And he empowers you when the spiritual battle is at its fiercest and it feels like you're surrounded by demons and darkness. He'll empower you to stand in the middle of that. And because Paul experienced that empowerment, he wants to have Timothy also experience that. If you feel empowered and you feel God's strength in your life, you want other people to walk in that strength and walk in that hope. And that's his heart. Well, where are you going to find that? He says, in grace. Be strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus. What's grace? It's a divine gift. It's a gift you don't earn. It's a new source. The Bible says, those who wait on the Lord, they will soar on wings like eagles. Do eagles try to flap harder than all the other birds? No, they know it's not in the flapping. It's in the soaring is in the wind, the fresh wind of the Holy Spirit in step with the Spirit of God and you will soar because you're not just trying harder. You're tuned in. You're walking with God. You're close in relationship, reliance on Him and His power is going to be strong in your weakness. It's two very different ways to fly. I don't recommend flapping and over flapping. Uh, and, and that really leads us to rethink what doing means. Because some of us have a picture of doing that means try harder, do more, do better. And it's a lot of humanism, a lot of pressure, some perfectionism, and ultimately you're drained because that's your view of doing. And that's not the biblical view of doing. Biblically, it's abide and respond. The relationships first, those who abide with Jesus will bear much fruit. And as you abide, the relationship you rely on God, you're talking to God, you're welcoming the Holy Spirit in your life. God is gonna move through. Now you're an instrument and a vessel where God, you've opened up the doors and say, come in God, now he's gonna take over. There's gonna be fruit in your life. There's gonna be impact in your life because you're not just white knuckling the thing. Instead, you're walking in the power and the love and the truth of God. 
That's a huge difference. There's a lot of people who leave churches frustrated because they feel like the message is you're never good enough, you've never done it well enough, and they carry guilt and shame and pressure. And that will drain you. That will absolutely drain you. And there is a better way. And the better way is abide and abound. And when you abide with Jesus, you give him the glory, you thank him, you're excited to serve, and he must become greater, we must become less. It's not all about you. In fact, the moment you realize it's not all about me, and then you start to shift, and you move out of the center of your world and your universe, and you're not so consumed, and you're not self-sufficient, and you step out of that trap, you're gonna fully come alive into the life that is truly life. That's where it happens, that decision right there. And uh, you know, if the foundation's not solid, it crashes. If the foundation's on sand, if the foundation is just human effort, that's all you'll have at the end of the day. And you can't save yourself. You can't. But God will bring out, you know, with the gifts and the talents he's given you, when you trust him as Savior and Lord Jesus and you follow him, he's going to bring out things in you that you never realized and couldn't manufacture or fake. And then you're authentic and it's powerful. And that's where Timothy's going. That's where Paul's going. And this tells us you're called to be a doer and a developer. A doer and a developer. Let's say that together. A doer and a developer. It's a both and. It's a both and. Don't shrink God's vision. You know, I was listening to someone describe at the end of uh, life, at the end of our days, uh, there was someone who realized all this was going on and I never saw it. I never realized, I was just so in the materialistic, what I see, I never realized the goodness of God, how he wants to empower us, that he's building a kingdom that's eternal, that he's called us to be doers and developers, and the impact God invites us into. I just didn't realize it until later in life. And there's different ages where we start to see it and realize it and want it. And may a day like today be a day where the light bulb goes on and turn the person next to you and say, you are a developer. Whoever's closest to you, you tell them you are a developer. Say it sincerely, look in their eyes. You are a developer and just say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, a doer and a developer. We've got three questions today to highlight and focus on. The first question, do we want what God wants? That's at the crux of the teaching today. Do we want what God wants? It's not, uh, do we know what God wants? That's a different question. We know what God wants. Do we want what God wants? Well, let's go back into the scripture. Think about Moses first. This is Numbers chapter 11. And you'll see a situation here where God is gonna multiply. And Moses is gonna step into developing more people. The Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down, God says, and speak with you there, and I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you, and I will put it on them, and they will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. Now, maybe you can relate to Moses this way. Do you ever feel like no one understands? No one's doing as much as I am. 
It's so stressful, it's so demanding. There's people barely lifting their weight. I'm the one who does it all. And you just feel the weight of the world and the responsibilities. My to-do list is so long. Like it's on me, it's on me, it's on me. See, I gotta come and save the day again. I gotta bail them, I gotta clean all the ball again. I've gotta do it for everybody else again. Moses is feeling like that. And God speaks to him. God speaks to him. His father-in-law speaks to him, Jethro. Same message, Moses, it's too much on you. It really is, it's too much on you. It's not supposed to be this way. And Moses is listening. Numbers chapter 11, verses starting 26. Look at what happens. However, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad, they remained in the camp. So they didn't do what God said. They were listed among the elders, but they did not go out to the tent. Yet the spirit also rested on them and they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, this is the understudy with Moses, his assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all of the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Then Moses and the elders of Israel, they returned to the camp. Do you see the tension? Joshua steps in like, Moses, like they've got gifts. They're not part of our church. They're not part of our denomination. M- Moses, they didn't, they're not following your instructions perfectly. Like Moses, we've got to control this religious mindset. It's just us, control it. They can't go out and use those gifts. And and Moses is like, you're missing the whole thing, Joshua. You love God, you're serving God, you're devoted, but you're missing the whole vision of what God's doing. He's raising up people from other churches, ethnicities, other styles, other cities, other denominations. God is on the move, the Spirit's on the move, Jew and Gentile, all generations. Why are you trying to shrink it in your religious thinking, Joshua? We wanna be in alignment with God. Joshua, we're doers and developers. God is multiplying. Shift your thinking, Joshua, shift your thinking. Well, in the New Testament, in Acts chapter six, there's another tension there because where there's growth, there's tension. Whoever told you the next level is easy, not telling the truth. The the next level is actually more difficult, more sacrifice. Uh, Whoever told you that like growth is just an amazingly smooth season, They just haven't experienced that much growth because there's growing pains, okay? And that's what the church was going through. In those days when the number of disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, so they're Greek, among them, they were complaining against the Hebraic Jews. Tension between Jews and Gentiles. It was thick, it was strong. Ethnicity, racism, it's all there in Acts chapter six. The widows, the Greek widows, were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. How come the Jewish widows get all the food and the Greek widows are overlooked? So the 12 gathered all the disciples together. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on the tables. Our name is not on this. That's important to know what your name is on. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. And you know what happens? All the widows get food. You know what happens? The people are praying. People are returning to God. People are coming to know God. The word of God is spreading. Why? Because here's God's solution. Raise up and train more people to serve and to lead. When the church is stuck, so often in the Bible, 
God's solution is empower more people to serve and to lead. If you don't do that, you'll have a nice ministry. If you do it, you'll have a movement. Do you want a nice ministry or do you want a movement? And God's solution, if we want to align with heaven, Old Testament, New Testament today, is to empower more people to serve and to lead and the joy that's there as you do that. Now, if you think, "Mm, I kind of want what God wants, I mean, once in a while, a little bit, I mean, I don't have a problem with what you just said there. I don't have a problem with, with developing people. I mean, I don't, I'm not objecting. I see it in school. I don't have a problem with that. You will never turn the corner. That's just not gonna get you there. So the question is, do you want what God wants? And if the answer is yes, here's three aspects. First, the vision. It's clear. You see it in scripture. It's God's heart. And you start to see it in your own life. You start to see who and you start to see how. You start to get a vision for development. If there's no vision, it perishes. It starts with a vision. You you got to have a vision for this. The second is the margin because there is a cost and your life is already super full. And for all of us, our plates are full and sometimes we fill those plates with lesser things instead of greater things. And because it's filled with lesser things, some of those lesser things are actually gonna have to move off your plate so that greater things can come in. If you're thinking, I have no time and energy to develop anybody, it's time to shift what's on your plate, move some of those lesser things out of the way, and welcome God's will, plan, and purpose of multiplication. Create that margin intentionally. No one else is gonna do that for you. You gotta choose that one. A vision, a margin, and then a question. I love a timely question. When I share my faith with people, when I share about Jesus with people, I like to ask this question. For people who haven't decided to follow him yet, I ask the question, is anything preventing you from making that decision to following Jesus? Is anything preventing you today from deciding to follow Jesus? Because they'll either say, no, there really isn't. And I've had this happen many times this year. And I say, well, then let's pray right now. You can decide right now. They're like, I wanna do that. Or they'll say, you know, this is the one barrier for me. I just don't understand. This just doesn't make sense. And then we can talk about that. But it's a timely question. Here's the question for you in terms of development. You've got a vision. You've created some margin. Now, as you start to pour your life and build up other people, here's the key question. You ask them, now who can you develop? That's the key question. That's the multiplication question. You disciple someone, you develop someone, you train someone, and now you ask them, who can you develop? Because if they, if you don't go there, it's just gonna be an addition, but if you go there with that question, now we're talking multiplication. Now we're talking a movement instead of a ministry. That's a very key question. The vision, the margin, the question. This is practical today. Uh, You say, well, could that really happen? It just happened this month in our church. You know what happened? There was a vision for children in Cambodia right now who are struggling. It was a vision. And then we made some margin together. We realized, you know what? We can make a difference. We could connect. We could support them. 210 kids now in Cambodia are supported by our church family because we made a little margin. Maybe it's a little less Starbucks or it's a little less something else. And it's like, we, we can do this. And now what's happening? Now we're providing 
education, clothes, you know, a connection with Christians. We're providing, this is an area of Cambodia, and I've talked to people in our church who have been there, where there's very few followers of Jesus, and now the light and the love of Jesus are flowing from Auburn to Cambodia. Wow, praise God, you see? There's no limits to what God can do. Do you see the potential in this room if we are doers and developers? Uh, Let's keep going. Second question, what's the difference between a doer and a developer? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked that one. I happen to have a chart right here and I wanna lay it out. Contrast, compare, uh, make it real clear. Doers, developers, doers, it's a good thing. We love doers. Uh, Doers are thinking, I go to the top of the mountain, right? I've got some goals. I wanna get there. I'm going to the top of the mountain. I'm climbing. I'm on my way. Developers, how can I help everyone get to the top of the mountain? That's very, very different. It's not the same thing. A doer is focused on the work. Here's my tasks, here's my to-do list. I've got 10 things today, I'm knocking them down, I'm doing them, that's admirable. We love diligence, we love a good work ethic. A developer is focusing on people and that work is gonna be shared and you're gonna develop people through that work. You're gonna train people. The next one, doers are thinking addition. Okay, maybe I could add one more when I have time, three months from now, I think I could add one more. Developers, it's always multiplication. I'm always training people who can train people. That's a developer, that's biblical, that's Jesus. Very different. Doer, slow progress. Now initially it's fast, because initially we can go faster alone, but doers are different than developers who are thinking we go further together. And doers, it's gonna be ultimately a slow progress over the year compared to developers who are building and growing a movement. So many organizations, businesses, you know, so many nonprofits, churches, the doers. There's 20% in the room who are doers, they're active, and because there's 20%, the ceiling's kinda low, how far it can go. But the shift, the biblical shift, when people are empowered is that now 80% are active and that low ceiling is blown off and now the Spirit of God is moving and you see it in the book of Acts and we don't wanna quench or grieve the Holy Spirit. We want all of God's people to be filled with the Spirit in all places, in all days of the week. There's a huge difference. Sometimes the clarity helps. Now you might be thinking, not me, not me. God didn't call me. Uh, Well, what does the Bible say? In Joel chapter two, and this is a preview of Pentecost, a preview of the days we're living in. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people, God said. Did he say a few people? Did he say a select group of people? Did he say the seminary people? I don't read that. It says your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. The old men will say, my best days are yet to come. They're not behind me. The young men and women will say, God has empowered me with a vision I'm running after. Even though people look down upon me because I'm young, I'm running for Jesus and I'm gonna do it in the Lord's strength. You see, it's coming alive. It's coming alive. You say, well, what if it doesn't feel good initially to be a developer? It might not. It might not. It might not be easy. It might be really messy. It might be disappointing. It might be four times it doesn't work and then the fifth time it starts to work. It might be costly, right? There's a lot there, uh, but let's get God's vision again from Habakkuk in the Old Testament. Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth, for the sound, for Auburn, for my home, (laughs) my community will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. 
We want to see God glorified. And then the Lord replied, write down the revelation. That's what the Bible is. It's written down revelation for us. Make it plain on tablets. It's plain so that a herald may run with it. There's three things in the Bible. One is you stand with the Lord. When you're bombarded by false teaching in a spiritual battle, you stand in his truth and in his love and you take your stand. And then you also walk with God. That's the next one. You walk humbly with God. You walk humbly with God. Even when people hate you, insult you, you walk humbly with God. It's a 24-7 relationship. You walk humbly. And the third thing, stand your ground, walk humbly with God. The third is you get the vision from the Lord and you run with that vision. That's sometimes ignored. People think, oh, I just stand the truth and then I walk humbly. No, the Bible also says you run with the vision. You run in the power of the Lord because the window's open now and it might not be next year. So those three, they go together. And what is it? Chapter two, verse four, it's by faith. See, the enemy's puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Faith is trusting God's faithfulness. In developing people, in building up people, is a faith step. Say, why do you do it? Because Jesus did it and he called me to do it. It's all faith. You say, I don't need one more thing on my plate. I I just don't need one more thing. I think that's how Timothy probably felt. Paul, I've got to lead this church in Ephesus. Paul, you know this is such a stretch for me. You know my daily planner's full. And uh, this one more thing, it's actually more intentional than additional. And you've got a lot of things during the week that'll drain you. This will be life-giving. This is a game changer. When you look back, let's say 20 years from now, you, for the next 20 years, Lord willing, you could have some impact the next 20 years. You could have some. But I'll tell you where your greatest impact and legacy will come. It's developing other people. If you don't do that, your impact will look like this. If you develop other people, It'll go to the nations and the generations and it will be exponential how God uses you. So these are important paradigms in our mind. If you kind of think developing people is kind of elective, it's a bonus option, it's secondary, you know, a few people do it, again, we'll be stuck and we will have a ministry, not a movement. This is discipleship, it's formal and it's informal. What does it look like? Greeting is great. We love our greeters and ushers, but development happens when you think, well, who else would be a good greeter? And you invite them in and you encourage them. You train them up as well. And then what happens? They get the joy of serving the Lord. In a life group, like let's say you've been in a life group for five years and you could start to think, you know, maybe I could host a life group. Maybe there's someone in my life group that I could mentor. See, if God's given you scripture, I didn't grow up with the Bible, but now God's given me, you know, went to seminary. God's given me a lot of years in the word. I've heard a lot of sermons. The more you receive, the more you need to give. To whom much is given, much will be required. I just can't receive all this word and then just store it in there and act like there's nothing in here. No, I've received so much, I've got to pass it on. I've got to share. And the same for you too. If you know how to pray, do you know how many people in this room are just struggling with prayer? I don't really know how to pray. I'm not really praying. I'm kind of self-reliant. I'm not sure the words don't come out right. Like no one's ever taught me how to pray. I just, no one's ever walked with me like that. You come alongside and start to pray together and just talk about prayer and God will use you to help them over their fears. Uh, God is gonna use you in incredible ways when you start to say yes to developing other people. And it's gonna look in many different contexts. We just had, um, 
It was a digital outreach this month, and I'm so grateful, Michelle, Joel, our digital outreach team here at Grace, and it was a campaign where over 2.5 million people watched the content, and then over 350,000 went through all of the gospel and and went through it clearly how to have a relationship with God, and then 8,200 indicated that they're making a decision to put their trust in Christ, and we thank God. We thank God, because those are the times we're living in, but you see, the vision's greater than that. Because there's content we made, and this is partnership with Global Media Outreach, for discipleship. Because we don't just want them to come and know the Lord and then just be all alone, but the next steps. So there's six videos on the next steps. And then we guide them to local churches and find church families and communities. Why? Because we're not looking for decisions. We want disciples who are being developed who will develop other people. You know, my son kind of broke it down simple this way. When he was in elementary school, he noticed that in the lunchroom, that place is a mess. You ever been to the lunchroom in elementary school? You ever see what's going on on the tables, the floors, the wrappers, right? We've all seen that. So my son was watching, you know, this one lady doing all the work, and he thought, I can be a doer. I can do something here. I can help out. And he did. And being a doer is a good thing. It really is today. Being a doer is a good thing. But then it started to click for him, hey, my friends might want to help out. I could have them come in. And pretty soon what's happening Now, he didn't do that because the lady was going to give him a McDonald's gift certificate at the end of the year. He didn't even know that would come. But the point is, he just saw his friends, and he saw the problem, and he saw a possible solution. And pretty soon, that became the cool thing to do, is to just start helping out to clean out the lunchroom so it doesn't all land on one lady. You can get creative with this stuff. There's the formal. If your vision of empowerment is, yeah, I think there was one person at work like four years ago I kind of trained. That was good. That was good. But it's time to dream a little bigger, folks. It's time to dream a little bigger. It could be at work. It could be at church. It could be a formal role you're in. Or it could be informal, where you just see somebody who doesn't have a place to stay, and you get them a hotel room, and you start to talk about faith, and you cut their hair, and you start a relationship going, and pretty soon you're making an impact in the next generation that you didn't see coming. The church didn't plan it. You're just living for Jesus, and you're out there, and you're kind of dangerous like that in a good way, in a good way. Well, um, David had a heart for developing. And David, if you had to ask the question, whose sins are most kind of obvious, worse in the Bible? Like David would be in the running. He'd be in the top 20, top 10. I mean, like what he went through and he chose and so forth. But listen, God can take anyone and make them a developer. Like you might be thinking, well, I didn't grow up in church. I don't know that much Bible today. I've been divorced. I was adopted. People said I'd never make it through high school. No one in my family has ever, you know, stepped up and followed God. Like you can come up with all those things that people tell you to try to push you down, but that's not coming from God. That's not coming from God. So David could have just been sitting in self-despair and self-pity, but instead God started to shift some things in his life. In Psalm 40, it overflows. He said, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock, gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. When you gather, when we gather here on a weekend, don't ever in your mind judge or criticize someone who's praising the Lord with all their voice and their dance and their hands because you don't know what they've been through. You don't know what God's pulled them out of. You don't know how eager they are to give thanks to God in this place. 
And that's David. He took criticism for his praise. But then he says, many will see and fear and put their trust in God. See, I'm praising God, but as I'm doing it, I'm getting a vision for people in my family and in my neighborhood and at my work of who else could be starting to realize and receive God's love. And, and David said it this way, uh, another psalm. His psalms are so transparent and you just get real close to someone when they're honest and open. And that's how David is. And uh, he says this, and it's Psalm 51. It's a psalm of confession. And we need confession in our lives. And he's crying out to God. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. If you ever made some bad choices and you're in sin, you can relate to this prayer. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. David is saying, I used to chase women and sleep around with women. I was unfaithful in marriage, but God, you set me free. And God, I wanna help other men to walk in purity and integrity. God, I've been violent. I murdered some people, David. But you know what? I wanna raise up some people instead of taking the life out of them. I wanna raise up some people, including my own son, who will stand up and lead and come alive and follow you. You see, the very things God's delivered you out of, it wasn't just for you, but he's delivered you so that you can come alongside of some people and help them experience the same freedom God has brought in your life. The same freedom. In fact, your most powerful ministry often is going to be out of the pain and out of the sin and the traps that you tasted and God set you free. Your most powerful ministry is going to flow out of that because God will use that pain to forge and feel a new purpose and passion in your life. So run with that. Run with that. That's David. Leaves us the last question. How do we create a culture of development? How do we create it? Uh, in our home, sometimes... We try to upgrade stuff. I'm not a handyman. Um, my wife and I, uh, sometimes we try to figure out how to do things differently and improve some stuff in the house. Here's a picture. It might look kind of boring to you. It's like, okay, yeah, that's our house. That's the bedrooms right there. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is the two lights. You say, well, what's the big deal about the two lights? Because for the last seven years, in a bunch of our rooms, the lights were, they kind of shrunk about, they were five inches, recessed lights, the can, darkness. And we've been walking around in our rooms for last seven years, being honest, thinking it's a little dim in here. It just seems like we need some more light. There's a little bit too much darkness. Do you ever feel that in the culture? Do you ever just walk around in your neighborhood? I was walking this morning early. A man drove up in a car and said, yeah, I just on my video saw someone trying to break in to my car. And so I ran out of my house and I'm just looking for him. You know, it's like I'm walking around thinking, oh, okay, great. There's a chase going on for, for a burglar. I'll just keep walking and, and praying out here in the dark. No problem. Um, but sometimes you just feel like, you know, things are darker than they need to be. They're darker than they should be in our nation. They're darker than what's going on in the light, the shift in the light. Those lights, they're flush with the ceiling. LED, and it's just like, wow, seven years. <laughs> like, uh, it wasn't that complicated. Maybe that's on me. Maybe I should have caught on a little earlier. But the difference that makes right there, you are the light of the world, and your light should not be hidden. If the followers of Jesus recess and shrink back and retreat and hide their light, the culture will look darker than it should. 
And sometimes you have to say after seven years, you know, what do you think the percentage of people in this room are who are developers, who are intentionally developing people or developing people, discipling people or discipling people? Like, what are the percentage in this room? I don't know what it is. But what if a year from now it doubles? I guarantee you Auburn will not be the same. I'm honing in today on the shift that needs to happen for the light and love of Jesus to go beyond the walls of the church. And it comes down to this, a doer and a developer. You know, Jesus challenged when there was 5,000 hungry people, Jesus talking to the disciples. You know what the disciples said? Send them away, Jesus. (laughs) Send them away. Do you ever feel like that? Jesus, I'm surrounded by needy people. Send them away, Lord, send them away, send them away. And uh, so I was like, yeah, good thinking. Yeah, what could we do? Send them away, Lord, someone more gifted, someone with resources, send them away. And you know what Jesus says to their plea to send everyone away? He says, you give them some food. I'm gonna empower and develop you. All we got is five loaves and two fish. You give them some food because I'm developing you. It's a culture of development. We're not making excuses, telling someone else to do it. It's a culture of development. And you say, that's throughout the Bible. I mean, in Genesis, you know what it says? Be fruitful and multiply. That was physical, multiplication. God was raising up people from all nations, cultures, ethnicities. It's gonna be beautiful in heaven. Uh, But it was be fruitful, physical. You know what Jesus says in the Great Commission? Go and make disciples. It's multiplication spiritually. It's relationally. It's building people up, helping them take the next step in the faith. It's the vision that God has always had. It's not new today, but sometimes it starts to make sense. Well, what do you do if it's making sense today? I would say three things. One, shift. Make it one of your clear goals. You've got goals for this year. You've got goals for the week. Make it a clear goal to develop and build up other people. Just embrace that into your goals and say, you know what, that's gonna become one of my goals is to train and develop, pass on what I've received. So that's the first shift. The second one is think about a system. Now, businesses need systems, churches need systems. In our own life, we need plans, right? We need plans. Like, who are you gonna develop? What are you gonna teach them? How are you gonna do it? Start to think through that plan or that system. And then the last one is seek. Seek out people as you pray. Seek out people that you say, God, who is it? Is it my grandchild? Is it my neighbor? Start to seek out people that are actually looking for, starving. They've been searching. They've been Google searching. They've been thinking through their names or contacts. Like, who could teach me how to pray? I don't even know who I'd go to. Like, you just start to seek those people. And when you do that, you shift and make it a goal. You start to think how you do it. You seek out the people. God's gonna move. I was on an interview in CBS Sports recently, and the question was, how can America, um, how can it really take off in terms of soccer? And it's grown so much. But I said two things. I said, one, the coaching has to be excellent and available to everybody. You don't need, shouldn't have to have a lot of money to access the best coaches. Great coaching is what's needed. Well, in churches, great coaching and training, that's what we exist to do, right, as a staff, is that training, developing, empowering. So you need great coaches. The second thing I said is that soccer, you know soccer will take off when the kids don't just play it at practice, but in their homes, they're kicking it against the couch. 
right? Playing passing to the couch. In their backyards, they're getting games going. It's sweaty. The neighbors are all over, right? There's a few lights broken, like out in the streets, right? The parks, you're like, how come all these kids are here on a Friday? Like, there's no coach. There's no practice. No, they just love playing the game. And it just starts to overflow. That's what I've seen in Scotland. That's what I've seen in Zimbabwe. Like, that's what I see in other places. Like, that's what it takes. Well, similar with the body of Christ, you know when it's really gonna take off? It's not when everyone just shows up for one hour and it's like, what do we do next? Do we sing? Do we, what's the passage? But it starts to take off. You're like, our home, our community, like Jesus, look what he's doing, relationships. I'm, God's empowering me, I'm serving, I'm using my gifts, like I'm seeing transformation. Like, it's just starting to flow everywhere. And I'm just wondering if I'm preaching to anyone today who's hungry for a movement and want God to move like you just haven't seen in a while. I'm trying to hone in and make it clear. Timothy, faithful, available, teachable. I'm gonna give two invitations um, today. The first one is if you're here and you wanna start a relationship with Jesus, it's a choice. It's kinda like the chair you're sitting in. It, that's a biblical trust. You put your trust, you put your weight on the chair. And with Jesus, uh, it's like a wedding's another metaphor. You can think about getting married to someone, but there comes a day where you make a decision, and I do, and it's a covenant relationship. This could be your day. If it's your day to start a relationship with Jesus, it's not earned, it's not through being good enough or performance or religious. Instead, it's his grace, an undeserved gift. I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand if you're ready to make that decision. You don't have to stand up, you don't have to speak, you don't have to do anything. You're just saying, yes, I'm ready today, both here and at home, online. You just raise your hand, I'm gonna pray for you if you're ready to follow Jesus today. Yeah, I see the hands. That's beautiful, that's beautiful. Yep. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. God, for um, friends here who are ready to follow you, Jesus. We thank you that you already love us and pursue us and know us. And Jesus, thank you that this relationship, thank you that you're living, thank you for your resurrection. And I thank you for each person that's following you as Lord and Savior. Thank you for this beautiful day, this wonderful day as heaven rejoices. We pray in your name. And if you made that decision, I encourage you to talk to me, our prayer team, Connecting Center. We'll help you get a Bible, take the next steps in your faith. And I also wanna give this invitation. If you're here today and this theme of development, God has spoken to you. Your name's on it. This is gonna be a season where you're really sensing you're gonna be intentional, make some shifts, and you're gonna pass along what you've received. If you're here today, I wanna pray for you. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand if God has spoken to you today in the area of development and being a developer. And if God has spoken to you, raise your hand. Raise your hand right now. We're gonna pray for you. Anyone who's got their hand raised? Yes, many hands, many hands. God is speaking to you and you just know you need to shift. It's time, God's gonna empower you. You're ready to say yes to this area, let's pray. God, I thank you for each person, each hand that's raised. God, I thank you that the gates open and the King of glory comes in. God, thank you that you don't give us a spirit of fear and timidity, but power and love. God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. I thank you for each person here and the gifts you've given them. God, protect them, build them up. We are praying for them right now. Strengthen them, encourage them, give them fresh vision. Guide them to the people, God. Show them the skills they have, God. Show them what they've received from you that they could pass on. Give them courage in those conversations, courage as they take initiative. And God, may you get all the glory as lives are changed for the good. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.